I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Boundary Corner Podcast, along with my partner, Brian Siegler. I'm Curtis Wilson, and we're back, Brian, on a Wednesday night. Yeah, we, we are back on a Wednesday. Uh, <laughs> Curtis got some Gatorade, a little bit of food in him. Fe- feel a little more up to speed tonight. We're getting there. I'm alive. I'm not dead. <laughs> not dead. It, it, 24 dead hours yet. Ago. I mean, it was it was a brutal day yesterday, but obviously we pushed through it. I pushed through it. Um, Obviously, you pushed through it, Brian, um, last night. We'll talk about that in just a second. But before we get everything rolling tonight, Brian, this episode is presented by Dr. Lord Jeremy Counts at Main Street Pharmacy. If you love this podcast, the Hokies, the town of Blacksburg. Make sure you are supporting Main Street Pharmacy when you make your way to town. Whether you need prescriptions, a tube of toothpaste, or just want to stop in and say hello, let Jeremy and his team take care of you. The money you spend at Main Street Pharmacy goes towards the things you support. So next time you're in Blacksburg, head down to 301 South Main Street and tell them Curtis and Brian sent you. Yes, sir. And Brian, before we get into a lot of the stuff tonight, we're going to look at the Miami recap. We're going to do a little fun what-if game um, after the break. But we're going to roll it off tonight. You had the opportunity. It was streamed live last night, and for those who missed it, we're going to show it again right here. Brian sat down with Hokies defensive tackle Josh Fuga and did a little one-on-one interview. So here is that interview. Guys out there, listeners, we got a big night tonight. We've got the one and only Josh Fuga coming on with us tonight. Uh, the 6'2", 302-pound defensive tackle wearing the number six and hailing from Freedom High School in Woodbridge, Virginia. And I'm going to go ahead and bring him on right now. Josh, how you doing tonight? Doing good. How about yourself? Doing real good. Doing real good. We really appreciate you having coming on tonight with us and uh, and and speaking to the listeners. We got some guys listening live here. So, uh, but we're going to have a few questions for you. And uh, again, appreciate you jumping on tonight. Of course, I appreciate y'all having me. So, uh, just wanted to start off with this. You've had some uh, kind of great games in your career already at Virginia Tech. Um, 
so far, but you seem to kind of be hitting your stride this year, uh, especially three great performances from you uh, in a row uh, the last three weeks. Do you feel like everything the coaches are asking of you at your position is starting to click for you, or is there something else contributing to that success? Um, I believe is is more uh, me buying in and embracing my role as a player on the team, um, knowing uh, my strengths and my weaknesses. So I think me actually honing in on my skill sets and actually believing like, okay, this is what I'm good at. So I'm going to go ahead and put that on display for everybody. Awesome. Awesome. I, I love to hear that. And uh, I know, I think you had talked about early in one other um, uh, spot I saw where you were talking about buying in and just the, the difference that kind of the, the culture that has been changed, uh, you know, kind of since you've been there. Yeah. So, Let's talk about that a little bit. Um, yeah, how did you approach that regime change that happened at the end of last season? And, and has there been a part of that change that has had an impact on your preparation or, or your play on the field the most? Uh, I really embraced the change. Um, by I, I knew uh, how the change was going to be, uh, the severity of the change. Um, but what I did is like, I, I knew I wasn't going to leave or nothing like that. I had no intentions of leaving first and foremost. Mm -hmm. So I just knew that if I want to become who I am right now, I got to work harder. So that's more weight room, more, more film study, all that. And, uh, the change that actually happened this year, um, I think is actually pretty good because one thing that this coaching staff bought into their mindset was mainly competing and everything we do on and off the field. And I believe that with that change and that mindset that they instilled in us was uh, pretty pretty good. Uh, we, we really needed that as a team. Uh, it may not be showing it right now, but we are really competing on and off the field because what we do off the field correlates to what we do on the field. So, yeah. And so, so it sounds like you, as soon as you saw that coming, you kind of doubled down on your approach and uh, to yeah. your preparation and stuff like that? Yes, sir. Awesome. Awesome. And, you know, speaking of that, you've kind of you've been a rotational or starting player for the Hokies for three years now. What's been the bi biggest difference for you from a schematic perspective in Coach Pry and Coach Marv's system compared to your first two seasons in Justin Hamilton's defense? Um, I think the schematically talking is allowing allowing the the front four to actually eat more like they're, they're going to put us in position to make plays. Um, okay. So I say they're going to do their best to make sure that we're doing that, that we are here to for this specific play, and it's up to us to actually execute that play and make the plays when it comes to us. You know, uh, we just got to stay in the framework and not do too much, and I believe that we're doing that, and I believe that's the whole the change of everything from the other staff to this staff. Okay. So so a little bit more control chaos. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I like that. I like that. Um and, and kind of speaking of that, I know we talked a little bit off air before before you jumped on here. I know we're still early in the bye week. Mm -hmm. Um, but what has been the emphasis from Coach Pride this week so far? Has there been more NC State prep type stuff since you've got the Thursday night or early coming next week? Or has it been more about the scheme and the technique and trying to polish some things uh from the first half of the season? Uh, I believe like his message from what I've what I've gotten is what can you do individually to better this team as a whole? Um, 
like I said in other uh, interviews, is that even though what we're going through may not be all rainbows and sunshines, this week could have been a better time for us to have a bye week. It gives us opportunity to really reflect on what's going on as a team, as a program, uh, and also as individually as a player. Um, so I think it's a perfect time for a bye week so we can really actually take strides in for the next half of the season. Yeah, it does seem like it's coming at a good time. I think, you know, you guys have seen – had some good games, had had some areas where you, you feel like you could, you know, have, have improved. Mm-hmm. Trying to put the, the whole picture together. I know Price talked a lot about complimentary football, kind of everybody yeah. rowing in the same direction at the same time, right? Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, as you said, I think it's a good time for a bye week. You can start maybe putting some of those pieces together for sure. Yeah. Um, let me ask this. So um, – you came in Virginia Tech already, kind of D one level size, um, and you know at six one three hundred. Uh, what components of the strength and conditioning program have helped the most in your progression on the field since you've been in Blacksburg? Uh, I'll say the the conditioner. Uh, yeah. So when I first came here twenty nineteen, I'll never forget. Uh, I graduated high school June 9th of that year. And then June 10th was already like my report day. No, I, I actually graduated June June 1st and my report day was June 10th. So a quick had, turnaround. <laughs> yeah, quick turnaround. So coming in, I remember five o'clock in the morning, we had to put our cleats on and get on the baseline and we had to run this thing called 300 yard shuttles. That's 50 back, 50 back and 50 back. For that whole week straight, I didn't make not one of my times. So I'm over I'm there staying after you know, gassed out and, and trying to make my times. And it's embarrassing. Like, to be honest, it's embarrassing. Like, you got the class that came in with you, like, looking at you and like, yo, like, he's not ready. And I kid you not, after that very first week that I did the whole shuttles, till that point, I never miss a time. I'm either one of the top guys finishing and all that. So it's really me embracing that, okay, this is what it is to take to, to play at this level. I got yeah. to be able to be playing 50 plays or whatever it is. I got to be strong. So it's just me buying in and the conditioning and, and all the strengths that, 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 uh, that they implemented. Yeah. And I can definitely uh, commiserate with that a little bit. I played D three back in the day and I remember getting there and, and the, the, you know, the first thing they're doing is, is the conditioning test. Yeah. That, that's and, okay. And I was like, oh, okay, this is this is a different level of of conditioning than, than what we were doing, you know, back in high school. And mm-hmm. the first first week was rough. I definitely missed uh, about two or three of the times that first week. And you know, once you kind of get your your feet under you a little bit, you're like, all right, I can, if you push through a little bit more, you start mm-hmm. just getting under the time, and then you can start building off that for for sure. Yeah, yeah. All right, so um, let me ask this because. Uh, a little bit back on the on the the strength and conditioning stuff. Um, since you've been in Blacksburg, anytime we see those off season workout videos, um, I tell my buddy Curtis uh, that does the show with me, and and I've said it on 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 here before. You've got the best squat face on the team, <laughs> <laughs> by far. It's not even close, man. Um, but but let me ask the question from this perspective: Does making Big Squat Friday almost like this big weekly event? help the team push through leg day each week? Because I know that's always like the, the, the toughest day to get through. 
Yeah, um, that there's no doubt. It is the toughest day to get through. Um, but I think it actually it actually benefits us because we're all we're all there uh once a week and we're all there watching one guy at a time to push the weight, push his max. And that just that builds that team chemistry, that team camaraderie that look, I got your back if you do this for one time, you know, and and it gives that person that confidence, whoever's under that squat bar, be like, okay, everybody watching me, I'm not gonna mess up, but <laughs> all I know is that they got me and I'm gonna do my best to get this one rep. So I, it, it it helps build that team camaraderie and that team chemistry for real. I, I will throw this on here. Uh Dwight Vick, uh Virginia Tech Legend, he said, Tell my guy Fuga he's got got a fan in Dwight Vick and Freedom is serious this year. So. Yes, hey, yes, sir. I know y'all been seeing Freedom, what they doing. Yeah, y'all keep them on the map. Yeah, y'all keep them on the map, but I appreciate you. Yeah, always good when uh, when Dwight Vick checks in with us. So I yes, appreciate sir. that. So let's ask this. Um, you've been playing under J.C. Price now uh, for, for two seasons. Um, we're seeing his impact a lot more on the line this year. Um, not just from you know the direct, the direct stuff with the coaching, but a lot of the the culture type stuff. Lunch pail is bag, dog collar. What does it mean to you to play for a coach that kind of helped build the foundation and the culture for the program that you're now a part of? Man, um, Coach Price, man, he he's he's a guy that that embodies of what Virginia Tech is. So. This is actually like his first time, like the two years he's been here is his first time actually getting control of all four guys yeah. in that position. So like last year we had uh Bill Tierlink. So we would I'll be under him and then Coach Powell would coach the DNs. But this is his first time like actually getting the whole D line as a whole. And I'm telling you, like he what he teaches and how he coaches, it's a different style of coaching that I've ever seen. Um, he he's actually passionate. He's very passionate about what he does. Um, the dog mentality that the front four gotta have every game, no matter what it is. Like you, you gonna you gotta play like this in order to be successful. And he does a very great job um, trying to instill that that mindset that that we gotta have every game and everything that we do in life, just outside of football. And I'm sorry, uh, playing under Coach Price is actually a blessing for me. That's awesome. And we saw it. I mean, anytime he's in front of the camera, anytime he's on the mic, I mean, you can't, you feel it. And, and, yeah. and we saw it when we, when we, I mean, me and Curtis are, are fans from way back in the, in the mid nineties when, when coach price was still, was still a, you know, at Virginia tech as a player. So we kind of go back that far and we kind of remember uh, that mentality that he had as a player. And it, it's awesome to hear that he's bringing that um, mm-hmm. to, to y'all's meeting room, to y'all's uh, position room. And, you know, seeing every time he gets in front of the mic, especially, uh, you know, after UVA last year, that that was an emotional uh, <laughs> moment for him, man. So yeah. it, it's awesome that he, he brings that same energy to practice, to meetings and stuff hey. like that. Yeah. Every day, every day. Awesome. Well, uh, you know, we, we know how great of an environment Lane Stadium is to experience uh, a college football game. Um, and but I'm curious from your perspective, what are some other stadiums that you played at during your time with the Hokies that have also kind of stood out for you as having that type of electric atmosphere? I'll say for me personally was West Virginia last year. Um, 
it was it was electrifying. Um, you really couldn't hear nothing as soon as you got out. Um, it was a pretty cool environment. Um, but I would say Lane Stadium is, is top top notch. You know, nothing being <laughs> Stadium wasn't feel so. But for me personally, uh, I I say uh, West Virginia last year was pretty uh, rocking. Was it kind of the combination of the uh, the rivalry, the the fans, just kind of a little bit of everything that was was contributing to that? Oh yeah, I say like shoot, pull it, pulling up to the to the stadium itself, like you can see, like you feel that the the rivalry and everything that this game that game meant. Like we're not just trying to win the game, like we're trying to compete for a trophy. It's a trophy game. So, yeah. Like as soon as you get to the stadium, you you'll feel that atmosphere. That's awesome. Yeah, that that's one of the stadiums uh, that I would like to check out. I, I've I've not been there. Um, you know, when uh, when when I was coming to games early uh, earlier in my life, when I was a college student, um, that that was when West Virginia was known for for some of that dirty stuff that people were talking about, like oh, yeah. you know, throw throwing batteries and you know all mm-hmm. that stuff at games. So you know, some people tried to, as far as visiting fans, tried to stay away from that atmosphere, but. Uh, you know, I've I've heard of late. It's a lot more uh, more tame, but still still pretty raucous in terms of the noise they make and the passion that they bring to the stadium. Right. So let's ask this. Um, this is a little, little more fun question for you. Uh, in the D line room, you got a lot of different personalities, a lot of back different backgrounds. Um, what's the big kind of off the clock like competition or thing that that you guys do kind of as a group? Is it video games? Is it pick up hoops? You know what kind of things do y'all do off the clock? Um, off the clock, uh, I would I would say that it's mainly basketball, like pickup. So like Coach Price will have us sometime come to his house to just grub and just fellowship. And I'll say he has a basketball hoop. And I'll tell you, as soon as you get there, somebody got a basketball, and we're already trying to play twenty one or, or or king of the court or something. Like we're we're just we trying go. to always compete. Like it doesn't matter. And Coach Price would be like, there's no dunking. But, you know, some guys will try to dunk here and there, but we, we try to compete regardless. So I say, like, basketball or something like that. He's trying he's trying to protect his hoop, right? You don't want y'all bringing the hoop down, right? <laughs> now, he, now, he does a good job. He, he stays out the way, but everybody else is out there playing, playing with the basketball or some guys will be playing pool or something like that. Oh, nice. Okay. Okay. Good stuff, man. Um. I figured it's hoops. Usually everybody that comes on here, it's always hoops first. So, um, you know, 21 was our game back in the day. So I'm I'm glad that that's carrying it through for for some of the D-line group now too. All right. So last question before I let you go tonight. Um, You know, we we always ask this when we have players on, uh, former players. What's the go-to food spot for you in Blacksburg? Dang, the go-to? Man, I don't have everything. <laughs> uh, um, I'll say I'll say Joe's. Okay, Joe's the breakfast diner. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that that little that little spot, you know, that the, the little coffee shop I, I like to refer to as, but that they got some good food over there. Yeah, they do have some good food. Um, you're the first person I think that said Joe's in a while, so um, I. It, it, I think it's underrated to a, to a point, but I yeah, mean, it, anybody, anybody that's been there, especially certain certain times of day, mm-hmm. they, they know what's up. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no doubt. 
Well, I appreciate you jumping on with me tonight. Um, you know, sorry you, you didn't get to meet my my partner in crime there, Curtis. Uh, feeling under the weather, but uh, we appreciate the time. And mm-hmm. if there's anything you you want to plug real quick, go ahead. Uh, appreciate everybody tuning in. Uh, uh, be ready for us uh, next week, Thursday, ESPN prime time against NC State. Go Hogies! <laughs> there we go. And that's Josh Fuga. Appreciate your time. You have a good night. Appreciate it. You too. Well, we are now back. And it automatically, after that interview, it makes me want to, we have to invite Josh Fuga back next season for an interview at some point in time since I didn't get a chance to miss him. And then discuss (laughs) how many, uh, the question, now the question that we've had him on once with Joe's Diner is not only, okay, what's his go-to, but how many? Because obviously, you know, Joe's down a huge breakfast, all that good stuff. Like, would it be like, you know, you know, three small Joes, three big Joes? I mean, how much is Josh? What, what's the go-to <laughs> order? What's the go-to order and how much? It's like the new Taco Bell. What, it's, it's, did you see the twenty-eight dollar challenge? Twenty. I spent twenty-eight dollar Taco Bell, and we were like, "Oh my God, you're." Insides are gonna for a die. family of four. What are you doing? What are you doing? <laughs> Lord. But anyway, it was great that he came on last night. We Brian, also for you to get a chance to interview him. Um, I'm surprised you didn't get more technical about what would be happening if you were guard. He was de tackled. <laughs> uh, maybe next time, but um, maybe next time, maybe, maybe next, next time. time. Also, having Josh on, Josh, again, we appreciate you coming on last night if you're listening tonight. All right, well, let's flip it, Brian. Let's get into this Miami recap. And, uh, you know, Hokies fall 2014. And I'm, I'm going to start right off with the offense. Because probably after playing their best game of the year against Pitt, excluding really much the lap pass of the fourth quarter, it was literally the worst game we'd seen from this offense for three quarters. Yeah. I mean, the first three quarters, I mean – I'm gonna even. I'm gonna take the first series out with the big run by Malachi to open, and then the big pass by Daquan that he fumbled in Gaines territory. But before the fourth quarter, after that fumble, they crossed the midfield one time, and I didn't get to see. I didn't get to see any of the game except the condensed version, which I watched three times. Um, condensed versions are great, but you know, they are what they are. But I'm following on my phone at baseball. The second half, I listened to Bill and Mike on the radio. It's awesome to hear them just to say that, whether it's a losing effort or not. But, Brian, you did get to see the games. Let's talk about the play calls and, you know, what's going on there. Was it bad play calls? Were we in bad situations? What was the what was the issue? Uh, it kind of felt like, you know, we had the big miscue on the first drive after a couple promising plays. You know, we saw a, a couple new things out the gate. You know, we had an outside zone. Uh, on that run by Malachi, you know, then we we got Daquan involved early in the game, um, and then you have the fumble, and then it, it felt like very, very vanilla, very reserved in terms of trying to attack them outside on the perimeter, which is where we've had a lot of success with the running game, and also kind of through the air with the intermediate game. You know, we burn them with two plays like that. And then we really don't kind of go back to that for a long time. And when we do, you know, it, it's telegraphed. It's stuff that we kind of we, we're showing what's coming. So, you know, what we got to do is get more frequent counters and wrinkles off of those bread and butter plays so we can keep the defense guessing a little bit more because it seemed like they were keying a lot 
on those quick screens to the tight end. They were keying a lot uh, on those uh, powers and things like that. And uh, they were able to kind of get us kind of stymied a little bit before we were able to get up field and, and, and get our shoulders square and kind of get that forward momentum in the, in the offense. And that's just going to be one of those things where you got to make, be quicker at adjusting in the game kind of mid flow when you see, okay, well, you know, we, we did, we didn't do this well. So you get a little trigger shy with that. And then all of a sudden your bread and butter's not working and you, you don't adjust from that and try to find something else that's going to get you back into that rhythm because we really didn't find an offensive rhythm until the fourth quarter. Well, how does an offensive play caller do that, though? Because you have that first where you run two great plays and unfortunately a fumble happens, and then you get gunshot and you get triggered. For an offensive coordinator, like you can't live like that because you can't live if the bread and butter doesn't work. And obviously those first two plays was something different in getting a young player involved early. So the game plan was there, but it was just like, completely pulled back, like, hold the horses, whoa, 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 we can't keep making mistakes like this. What does an offensive play caller have to do to get away from that and just say, no, clearly these two plays worked, and we, if not for a fumble, we would have been on the plus 35, and they were already on their heels two plays into the game. So I'll throw a caveat out there. Uh, you know, it's a delicate balance right now because, you know, we've talked about it this team in terms of overall talent, overall depth is not good enough to make a lot of mistakes and then still win a game. So now you've got a mistake early on, but then you let that mistake feed over into other things, even though, you know, you're, you're playing more conservative, but you're, you're, you're playing almost not to, not to lose the game now. And, and we can't and play like we, that. We can't play like that. We, we've got to we've got to find the line between making sure we don't make those dumb mistakes, whether it's penalties, whether it's turnovers, but not getting so gun shy that we're not doing anything. All right. Well, maybe it's what the head man said, and I know you listened to it a little later after the game, and you felt like it was both sides, but. Brent Brock called out how we're running personnel. I After me seeing it and after what the offense did, to me it felt like he was going right after the offense, maybe calling out Tyler Bowen a little bit, maybe not. But basically talking about we cannot be vanilla as a team. So the first thing you said, not a vanilla, you can't be vanilla team, you're not that good enough. But we must play the right players. And the most interesting one I heard was right near the end of that snippet when he talked about we need the best players on the field at all times even if that includes having two running backs on the field at the same time. When you hear that, and I know as we get over the defense, we can skew what you think he meant by on that side of the ball, because he did leave it open-ended where you could say either side of the ball. But when you hear that and think offensively, what a potentially do you think we see NC State and going forward? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, it's it's a lot of things. And he mentioned he mentioned the running back specifically. Um and when I'm thinking of the running backs, I'm thinking of that third down call um, where you had Holston out in the flat. And it's a it's a laser. It's still a catchable ball. Holston can't handle it. If you have, you know, one of your other two running backs out there, you got Malachi Thomas out there, you got Keyshawn King out there. Is that ball handled? Does Do you get a, a catch and run for another – you know, 10 or 12 yards there to put you in scoring range right there. 
uh, versus having to punt on the next play? Maybe. And, I, you know, I think we're a little too deep where we're still feeling this out. I know Malachi Thomas has just been back for, for two games at this point. But I think we kind of know what we have, what the strength of Holston is and is not at this point. And unless he's staying in there to block, it's it's probably not a good play for him. I mean, just, just being honest, it's probably not a good play for him. All right. Uh, what about the, I think you just, you got into about why it shouldn't be vanilla. And I think you've got to find the right balance, but I think who we are as a team, there's not much bread and butter. You have to be, you have to be unique. You have to take shots. We got to get creative for sure. We got to get creative with, with how we're getting the guys at the football. Um, you want to have bread, butter. you want to have those plays that you can lean on when, when things get a little tight. But at the same time, you've got to be able to throw wrinkles because if the other team's playing tight and they're they're keying on what you're doing, you you got to throw them something different, uh, and can't just hope that they're going to make a mistake and not be where they need to be every time. It's it's almost like if you can take away the vanilla look, potentially doing some unique things will open up the things we've done well. Maybe not exponentially. Like things, yeah. certain run plays that haven't went for seven a carry that's going for two, but if you open it up just a little, maybe it goes for five because well, okay. now you get them thinking versus them read reacting. Yeah. Let me give you an example. Um, so, you know, we've run that quick screen to the tight end a lot. Yeah. Um, a lot of times we run it out of regular trips. Uh, it's going to Gallo from the wing. Um, we saw a bunch uh, trips, bunch, with uh with Daquan in there where Lofton and Gallo widen out and get the blocks. And that one had a lot of that was the one that got the uh the first down uh in the fourth quarter where where Daquan caught it, got about eight and then fought for the last two to get the first down. Though little wrinkles like that, little adjustments, it doesn't have to be anything major. You can still essentially call the same game, but just given a different look. So they can't key pre-snap on what you're trying to do. All right. Well, let's flip and let's talk about the next that I think disappointed everybody, um, especially after we looked versus Pitt and that's the offensive line play. I think clearly the worst overall game for this unit since ODU, they allowed seven sacks. And I know that's a good Miami front. The run game was probably about a yard per carry, less than what we wanted to be, Brian. We were 2.6 a carry. You said if we were at 30 for like 110 yards, we probably had a better chance. At one yard more, that's roughly where we are at 30 carries. So you obviously got in the film room and did some breakdowns. I mean, what were the issues there? Uh, it was definitely the worst the overall game for that offensive line since probably ODU. Um, just, you know, the, the past game kind of was what it was. Um, the communication was off. It seemed, uh, there, there wasn't, uh, they, they did a lot with delay blitzes that really threw off the, the communication and kind of the switching, uh, that the offensive line needed to do to kind of keep that sure. And, you know, you couple that with the run game where we weren't getting a ton of movement, uh, between the tackles, especially, uh, we had to generate a lot of our yards with our quarterback this week, uh, probably a little bit more than I think we're comfortable with uh, week to week, for sure. 
Um, I like Wells running more. Um, I think that's that's a positive in terms of generating some some additional offense. But you don't want to get into a situation where you're having to have your quarterback be the leading rusher for your team. We've seen that song and dance before. <laughs> we don't want to get back to that. No, we, we definitely don't. don't want to get back to that. So you know, if you have a one game here or there where your quarterback breaks a couple long ones and he's the leading rusher for one game, fine. You don't want him to go week to week being, you know, getting about the same number of carries as your lead back for, you know, a handful more yards. Uh, that's not what you want. So uh, the, the offensive line definitely needs to figure some things out, whether that is switching around personnel. Uh, it looked like, you know, we started the game a lot with a, with a lot of Jesse Hansen. We kind of closed it with a little bit more Braylon Moore there at the end. You know, you'd like to see, and hopefully at some point we get to to a, a situation where we're comfortable getting Xavier Chaplin on the field a lot more uh, and, and Parker Clements maybe off the field a lot more. Um, that, I think that would that would help. At least we, we know what we have and we can get some reps for a guy that we know is going to have to play a pretty big role for us come next season. Absolutely a huge role. And you mentioned Grant Wells' legs. I mean, let's talk about what we saw Saturday on that. I mean, he proved he's not a statue. Now, is he Tyrod or any of those guys? No. But by proving that, you hear pride talking post-game. It can be expanded. And when I hear that expanded, knowing this offense, knowing what you've explained to me, more read option elements, more RPO elements. And and then it kind of goes back to what we talk about right personnel saying, if you're using a little bit of the RPO, you're losing a little bit of the read option along with his just scrambling ability. It's going to change defensive looks. It's going to probably make things easier for the line and it's going to make some passes easier for him. Yeah. I mean, we've been running, you know, some of the read option at this point, we've been running some of the RPO at this point. It hasn't been as heavy emphasis as I thought it was going to be before the season, but I think some of that is, a lot of the other base stuff isn't as developed and as ready as they want it to be. So they're not throwing as many of these wrinkles out there, but I think we've gotten to a point now where we're getting stymied to a point where we got to try something different, something and something that's already kind of in the playbook that we can just kind of integrate uh, a little bit deeper in the game plan week to week. And I think that's where the RPO and more zone comes into play. Um, we saw a couple um, you know, quarterback. Um, we saw a counter call. We saw, yeah, we, we we saw. Um, we've seen the draws all year on long yeah. plays, which a couple times Saturday actually made up significant yardage. Yeah, and and that's fine. And I mean, he still isn't running at a point like even Saturday. I mean, he ran sixteen times, which was clearly the highest number that he's ran all season. And like you said, I don't want him to have to do that all the time. I'd like him to be in the eight to ten range, just more effective with the with those design you, runs or the, you, or the ones that you, are coming off of reads or or the RPO. I mean, we can go back and look at the tape and kind of decide how many were designs, how many were him just scrambling. Because if you're saying in this case he ran sixteen times, but if eight were designs and eight were scrambles, then then we're probably okay. I think what you're saying is design runs. You don't want to see them particularly saying 
this is his play versus. Yeah, he, I, I don't want to say twelve plus times a game we're running our quarterback in a design fashion. But if you're saying uh, it's it's ten designs and then you've got in his head, you hit one two because of this concept. These are you know we're running double vert or vert post. We're running people off. If there is a lane, don't try to get to the third read. You probably have five to ten yards of space where you do have enough legs to get us positive yardage versus taking a sack. Yeah, I mean, I'd like to see maybe four or five where, you know, it's it's Grant all the way. Um, he's not reading. He, it's not RPO. It's not zone. It's just okay. Grant's running the ball this play. Um, and I'd like to see another probably five to six where, where he has the option to run. Um, and maybe even a few more than that, though. Um, but, but I wouldn't go much heavier than that okay. right now. Uh, but, but there's, but there's things that we can do kind of off of that, that, that will get, take a little more pressure off of him. And I'm hoping that we can do some more creative things in the running game. I know Pry mentioned, you know, two backfield sets, you know, you got a guy like King that we can split out a guy like chance black that you can split out. Have to take um, advantage of it. Yeah. Take advantage of it. Create some mismatches, create some different looks for the defense. Well, uh, think about it. Might RPO. catch them misaligned. I mean, there, there's so many things you can do with 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 those different personnel that might catch the defense off guard. There. Well, think about an RPO pop sc- or a pop swing pass, where if you've got King and Malachi in the backfield and you're mm-hmm. reading hard and just let King run to the flat, are you immediately going to be voiding somebody like a linebacker or safety if you're doing that? Absolutely, because if they decide to stay in the box and Grant read that. You're talking about going to a flat where now if the wideouts are upfield and blocking, it could be a lot of yards. And what does that do? The next time you immediately see the linebacker change their direction, they don't bite in on the run, and then you might have numbers inside the box. But we could get deeper into that, and I'm not going to do that tonight. Yeah, right. I mean, I'd, I'll tell you another thing I'd like to see. We've, we've run a lot of those quick screens to the tight end and quick screens to the running back uh, when we're in shotgun. Um, I'd like to see maybe something where you either run a wheel off of that or, you, you know, you're looking, you're, you're showing that and then throwing back to the opposite side of where you're seeing that motion. Right now, they're jumping that every time. They're jumping it. And we, we got to start burning them a little bit uh, when they're taking those risks and jumping that, you know, something that they've seen on tape a lot at this point. Absolutely. All right, Brian, I think I just want to hit one more piece here. I think as we go into next year, talking about – we've talked a lot about Thomas and we've talked right, and we saw Lofton make a hell of a catch on Saturday and Braylon Moore getting one more play time. I think the young players on the offense, you've got a foundation there, not right? They're young. They're going to be here at least two to three more seasons, roughly. Yeah. Um, and with guys like Caleb Smith, even Wells coming back next year – if they find the Parker Clements of 2021 and bring him back, that'll significantly help. Um, I'm still trying to figure out what's happened to him. And I think I have a feeling in the off season, you're going to be pulling up 2021 tape and 2022 tape of him and be like, what's the difference. But how does it make you feel foundationally for the next couple seasons, knowing the guys who are showing out the most right now are some of the youngest in that room? Yeah, a lot of the young players on offense have definitely stepped up. You know, we, we talk about Wright and Thomas in particular, um, you know, still really early into their careers. You know, Lofton, I know he had the big drop. 
Um, but uh, you know, I think he's coming along. Um, you know, hopefully we can, we can get some, uh, some more consistency with his hands. Um, he may, he catches the hard ones, man. He does. The degree of difficulty is up. He bring those in. Um, he made that diving catch, uh, this past week against Miami. He made that big, uh, where he, where he climbed the ladder and brought it down against Pitts. So, I mean, he makes those, those, those high, high degree of difficulty catches, we just got to get him to bring in those routine ones 100%. With, with greater routine, right? Hundred <laughs> uh, percent. And then more, I think, just getting more more consistent snaps, uh, maybe even getting a start here uh, as the season goes along. I think would be good for his um, maturity and, and, and coming along in the in the offense. Absolutely. All right, let's flip over to the defensive side of the ball now, Brian. Um, let's first of all, we welcome back two players, Tawan Garbett, who had. Missed the pit game, who had a really big day with a sack and a half, three tackles for loss, five total tackles. Also, Alan Tisdale back. Alan Tisdale with nine tackles, second on the team behind Jalen Stroman. Um, and I think we really saw it shore up the defense and, again, address even more that this is a good defense. Is it great? No. But it is a good defense that, you know, Brian, if I told you you know, eight days ago on Wednesday night, on Tuesday night, Brian, we're going to leave you, we're going to hold them to 20. Are you going to take it? I'd take it all day, man. I, if, if you said that we were only going to allow 20 points in that game, I said there's at least a 60% chance we win that game. And if if the offense had showed a little bit more life, there would have probably been about a 60% chance that we would have won that game. So, you know, I'm fine with the output. I'm, I'm really impressed with the adjustments that we saw at halftime because almost everything that we did at halftime took away what they were doing well in the first half. And I mean, the biggest one was giving us a whole lot more of Monsieur Delane. It's true. We got a whole lot more of we got a, got a lot more Cam Johnson too, but we got a, a whole lot of the freshman cornerbacks got some run in the second half, and they showed out, and they, they showed are. out consistently, and in, in particular, Delane went up there and was, you know, high pointing balls, Man. getting get, getting some 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 deflections. And I mean, he he, he looked was, like the third year player. He yeah. looked like the third year player on Saturday of the of the condensed and highlights I saw. He looked like I'll the say this: player. he he looked a, eerily like uh, when when we got um, Kendall Fuller on the field as a true freshman. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. Now, now, don't get me wrong. The de- defense have some errors in the first half, absolutely. Um, but they. If somebody said, "Well, it would have been a blowout," should have been a blowout. Miami took the foot off the pedal. No, Miami could not run the ball. That's why they couldn't run the ball the whole game. The whole game they couldn't run it. Yeah. And I mean, you're talking about, think about this. You know, Miami, they had five runs or more of nine yards for 72 yards. Longest one was 15. The rest of the game, they had 35 on like 23. They were lower than us for those 23. And, I mean, I think having Tisdale back was big on that. And I think having Garbutt back was big on that. When you looked at some of the tapes, how much better were the run fits, especially with Garbutt and Tisdale back? 
Um, definitely more consistent. Um, there were still a couple that weren't quite what you want, but we didn't, we didn't, they didn't have a running back that could burn us. And when they had that, like Pry was talking about, a lot of the guys in the secondary were taking some better angles at helping clean that up. So you didn't see, see the big gains. And I know we spoke last week when we talked about Miami, you know, they get, they don't get to the second level and completely torch you like Pitt does. Uh-uh. Pitt, Pitt's very much, if, if you get them, in the first three or five yards, they're not going to do very much. If you if you let them get past five and you haven't put a body on them, you're in fucking trouble. And Miami is not that at the running back position. No. And and we saw it, and and you know we, we were able to keep them in check. Hundred percent. Now pass defense a little different story. Um, I think it's showing every week how much we're missing Dory and Strong, and him not coming back this week. I'm I'm wondering if if he's back against NC state. Um, and again, it sort of hurts the whole rotation. It's one reason Jalen Stroman had a ton of tackles. He was playing the free spot a lot. Um, and Breon Murray is probably one of the most frustrating players right now, because there are times where you look at his tape and it's like, he does everything perfect and it's great. And then there's some of those plays like on some of the Miami early drives where it's just uh, that pass in the back of the end zone. Maybe he got picked or something, but it looked like he had almost given up on catching that wide out. Yeah. And maybe he got picked. I, 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 when TV angles, you got to get all 22s where you can see on the back half. But it was like he almost gave up on that play. And if he gives up on that play, it's like maybe that's why we saw it in the second half of, listen, you, you can't give up on a play. Weird things happen in football. And I hope that's not the case. I just hope it was one of those weird things where he tripped or stumbled or got picked. But, you know. I'll, I'll say this. So, you know, I, I appreciate what, what Breon Murray brings to the table. Um, he's, he's got some decent skills. But I saw enough in Miami where he doesn't need to be the first guy out. In, okay. unless, unless Unless there's two or three corners out of that game for injuries, he doesn't need to be the first guy out. Um, and, and we've talked about it before. We're we're comfortable with him as as a guy where you can throw in for a series here or a series there to give a guy a blow that needs a blow. Um, and as we're seeing, having to lean on him for significant portions of a game, it's it's been a struggle. It's been very up and down. Um, and that's uh, against Miami. That's that's being kind. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, diff- it's difficult to watch. It's, 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 it's hard to say that about a guy that's a, you know, a veteran that's done some good things for your team and his time here, but, um, I'm going with the two freshmen before I, I want to see Breon Murray on the field again. All right. Um, something else that happened, Mr. Peoples gets ejected for targeting and you, I think you texted me. Cause I was there and I saw something pop up. I'm like, who was it? And you're like, Nasir. I was like, oh man. And then you texted me a little later when I was listening to the radio and you were like, this isn't hurting us as much as I thought it would. So who, you know, I think Nasir's back this week. He'll clearly be the starter again, but who took over the strong safety role when that happened? We, we saw Strowman in there a lot. When we went nickel, we saw a lot of DJ Harvey. So uh, oh, okay. uh, there, there, there wasn't a lot of drop off 
because of the the mix of those two getting in there. Nice. Uh, you, know, you know, DJ held up well. He, he made some plays out there, and then we saw Strowman that was out there um, do, doing a really good job. And obviously, uh, Strowman in particular has played a, a lot of snaps um, in kind of a secondary role this year and, and on nickel packages. So seeing him get in a more consistent role um, for all for all three snaps there uh, was good. He actually showed out very well. Yeah, we keep mentioning a lot of younger guys' names more and more and more and playing the best. Last piece, Brian, and I know you hate being right, but you said it last week. Like, if we keep them at 40%, we have a chance to win this game. They were at 47. 40% is roughly one less play. One or two less plays. If you think Van Dyke ran it late to get the third down that kept them the ball, obviously numerous times during the – during the game where they're close to scoring range, they get in scoring range, or if it's a stop, some of those third and longs or second and longs where they make it up. And and now it kind of hinges. It's like, I know you hate being right, but does it frustrate you even more? You watch the whole game, and I'm sure after the game, you're down at the beach. I'm sure you went out to lunch, dinner, watched some games. Did you look at your phone and see that percentage and like, shit, shit, one play. Yeah, I mean, and you, you know, you pointed out that I'd say like two or three of the Tyler Van Dyke runs. If you take those away, it's a different game. Um, you know, credit to him for being able to extend plays and, and make some good reads on some of those read options. Um, obviously, some some points of those games, you know, you're crashing hard. You're trying to make a play. He made the smart move and and, and pulled it and was able to run for a first down on, on on a couple of those. And that's kind of the difference in the game. I think you know. They were getting a couple more plays here or there, and we weren't making the plays that were there, um, especially on offense sometimes. So that that's just how it goes. I think this team is still learning how to to win and how to make those winning plays in situations where a play can kind of go either direction. Uh, and we're just not making enough of them yet. Absolutely. So, again, we'll, we'll close that chapter as we go into the bye week. Hokies fall. Huh? we got Brian Cobbs here. I feel like Holston and Murray are in the same position. We appreciate their loyalty and dedication, but the young Bulls didn't get more snaps, and I think that's probably what we're going to see. And we're seeing the head coach mention it more and more. Um, let's go into some news and notes, Brian. I got catfish last week. You ever read a tweet that looks real and it looks like a real source? Brian Harson was not fired last week from Auburn. I don't know how much longer they're going to keep him, though, because he lost again. Um but I didn't find out till like Saturday, and I'm like sitting there like Brian Harson. I'm like, didn't he get fired? Like, oh, son, <laughs> bitch! I got catfish. Got me again. Got me again. But eventually, he's gonna get fired. Um, so I'll make up that. Brian, I know you were at the beach. You were doing a lot of things, but let me tell you something. Saturday, that's one of those days for college football. That even though the Hokies lost and it sucks, but maybe as you get older, it's easier. And we're 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 slowly approaching forty. Maybe that's why it makes it easier for us. The <laughs> afternoon and the night slate of games, man. I mean, three unbelievable games. Yeah. I mean, it it was kind of, it was fun all day, man. It was fun all day. We had you know we started the day with our Hokies, had some big matchups in the afternoon, had a good evening slate. Um, got got to like check back and forth on on what Michigan was doing. 
um, during our game. So, I mean. Well, that became very apparent about six minutes into the second half. They just turned on the afterburners yeah. and, and just left Penn State, unfortunately. Um, I was my, – my pick was Okie State four and a half. If that thing doesn't go to overtime, I make it. But give TCU credit. Down 14 with like under 10 left, they come all the way back and win. Um, the yeah. other game I was tuned into late night, Kyle Whittingham has balls of stone because it's 42-41. You're playing USC, and he says, screw overtime. He goes for two, and they get it, and they beat USC. Yeah, that was a big that was a big nut move. <laughs> big, big nut move. Now, obviously, though, the big one we both were watching. Um, it, I'm sure it made us all cry a little on the inside. All Hokie fans can admit it, especially if you knew, obviously, the Hendon Hooker thing, but then who he was throwing to. But that was an unbelievable game, start to finish. Yep. Start to finish. Um, Tennessee kind of gets out early. Alabama claws back. Then it's a, a back-and-forth show to kind of close things out. And you get a missed field goal in one direction. You get two good plays by Hendon. And you're in field goal range. Field goal gets tipped. It's tipped. And it knuckles through the damn goal post and clears the upright by about that much. That much. Oh, that was wild. And then, you know, love them, hate Tennessee. You rush the field on that. You do tear down the goal post. You go crazy. You tear down the goal post. You pull up some uh, some checkered turf. Oh, my God. I the, mean, the whole shebang, man. I hope one day we can do that again in Lane Stadium. Um, by the way, tomorrow, Brian, do you know what tomorrow is? What we got? Sports Equinox. Hey. Sports Equinox on 1020. For those who don't know what a Sports Equinox is, basically every major sport in this country, including college football, will be played tomorrow night. Um, baseball playoffs, NFL, college football, hockey and NBA and it's one of those you should like take off from work but we can't because we've already <laughs> taken too many days off this year for other things but you know it's it's awesome when it happens it really is because you you can't get away from it and it's one of those where it's yeah I'm not watching a show tonight I'm watching some sort of sport Curtis but, wants yesterday's sick day back so he can take it tomorrow I do I do or Friday <laughs> Friday all right. Um, another thing that came up, and, and we saw some Hokies respond, so I had to put it on here. Someone I've seen in concert, I think you saw in concert, but Marty yep. Smith text put out there in a tweet, what is the best Alan Jackson song? I'll let you lead, sir. All right. So my pick is Midnight in Montgomery. It's the uh, the, the Hank Ghost song. You know, th- th- there's, there's like a plethora of Hank Ghost songs, but – I put Midnight in Montgomery right up there with The Ride by David mm-hmm. Allen Coe as, yep. as the two upper echelon Ghost of Hank Williams songs. Um, and then the other one is I Don't Even Know Your Name. Uh, Jeff Foxworthy in the music video. Uh, it, so, so, classic tongue-in-cheek. Like, True. Yeah, just, just great quintessential 90s country song. True, true. Both of them. And two songs that a lot of people who hear Alan Jackson probably can't correlate unless you followed country at that point in time. I'm going to go to both Weepers. The the best song of his all time is here in the real world, in my opinion. Because the opening line of that song, 
cowboys don't die and heroes don't cry. That gets you because here in the real world, the boy don't always get the girl, breaks your heart, and then someday, uh, I mean, just like the most weepy ballad songs you ever heard, but if you listen to them, the poetic piece in there is big. Yeah. Um, and Brian, before we go to break, tonight, Alan Jackson's got some all-time weepers though. He does though, man. Re- remember mean, when Drive? I mean, it's he's a, he's a, he's one of the greatest songs. He's one of the greatest. I would say some people would say contemporary. He's one of the greatest country songwriters of all time. And all four songs we mentioned, he wrote. He wrote those songs. Um, some of the songs, and we're not even mentioning where were you in the world stop turning. And, and I like what somebody <laughs> said on that one. Like he wrote that song, and nobody else tried after that fact. Um, Brian, real quick before we go to break here, um, I want to do a little remembrance because uh, a year ago today we lost one of our best friends, and um, you know. You put up the story on your Facebook page about the Rumplement saying, which to this day, we we, we were in college. <laughs> yep. Ron Wilkerson there with us, a bunch of our other buddies, Robbie Jason, and we make a, a shit ton of sh- shots with a variety of liquors. One of them was Rumplements. Brian, you mentioned on there, man, about that night, and I remember that night, that he was the only person of our group that somehow all night didn't take a Rumplement shot. Yeah. He, he he knew which ones had had the blue label vodka and which ones had the Rumplemans. And he fed and everybody. He got the he got none of them, and we got all of them. All of them. And you <laughs> and you, you were in college. You didn't spit out liquor, uh, but just one of those moments. And you know, it's been a year. I, I missed the text because he would be texting us or putting something right now on here. Yep. And um, Brian, we'll always miss you, man. And absolutely. Uh, and and I said in my in my post. I, I am a man of many words. Anybody's ever met me or talked to me, I can I can talk your ear off all day. But for him, and I'm thinking this, me and Brian, we miss you, man. And we're always going to miss you. Yeah. And now, pause for our digital partners. I'm Alex Rodriguez, and I'm Jason Kelly from Bloomberg. This is the deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and, not as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. As we take a quick break, we'd like to tell you about getting your free website report from our digital partner, Grassroots Digital Marketing Studio. They'll tell you how your website ranks on Google, on-site SEO, and social media. No commitment to buy anything. You can get your free report by visiting grassrootsdigitalstudio.com forward slash free dash website dash report. Now back to the episode. All right, Brian. So let's get into the what if. So about a month ago, me and Brian were kicking around. What do we do by week? Do we just go in and do a recap and kick it? We're like, nah, that wouldn't be fun. We did that last year. We did that last year, yeah. (laughs) We, we did. Yeah, we gotta keep we, you all on your toes. We can't just to. give the same shit every year. Exactly. But this year is the what if. It's the you know, wish you were here. I miss you. I wish I'd like to have that one back. Think of all those songs in your head. Of all the hokey players that left last year, declaring for the draft portal and all that, who would be 
and we, we, we were originally at four, but Brian said, that's too easy. We got to make it three. Who are the three players you wish you could have back on this team? And that so has eligibility remaining that either left early, portal, whatever. whatever. So we start going through the list, and we've got our list here. And what we're going to do is go through all the players, and then we're going to go through our three. Because our three do not match per se. And then we're going to talk about what we think we'd be at. Now, let's start here, Brian. Um, one guy, maybe kind of unsung guy, Tay Daly. Yep. You know, I'll let you give his pros and I'll give some of his cons and we'll we'll go why he's not back, essentially, on us. Yeah, I mean, the, the pros of, of him coming back for us this year, he could have given us more flexibility at, at safety or Sam linebacker. And he would have provided some additional leadership on the defense as, a, as another veteran uh, on that back end. And sort of the cons with it is he was a solid but not a you know spectacular player, a good player, and sometimes a little bit inconsistent with his technique. And I think as we were discussing this and we were talking, Tay, I think the back end is just good enough. I think yeah. the back end is good enough where it is. Um, and, you know, the only thing you could say is could you save a red shirt? And I think we're now to the point where saving a red shirt – we're, we're not seeing that work out because some of the guys who are playing are better. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Next guy on our list, guy we had on this show, is Jordan Williams. Now, the pros for Jordan, I mean, he was one of those we thought about long and hard. Maybe he shouldn't be as high, but we just did it in an order. Because his body type and his play style fits what we're doing on the defensive side of the ball without yep. a shadow of a doubt. Gives that line even more leadership. And then – Brian made, Brian made the point he creates some winning matchups because of what we're asking him to do. There would be times where Garbutt wouldn't be getting that guard hand in his face as he goes around the end. Yep. They would have to it, come inside and focus on Jordan a little bit more. It's, a, it's another guy you got to account for um, heavily. It gives you a veteran four man rotation. Um, there's just, you know, there's, there's a lot of things that would, that would benefit there. Now the con of him coming back, I, I think he had kind of already maximized his draft stock, which we took um, into account because yeah. we have to, cause that's their guy, that's their money. Yeah. And I think in, in terms of snaps, it would have been fewer snaps for, for Wilfred Panay to grow into the position. And if you're thinking long-term, th- that's probably better for us in, in a year like this year where, you know, it is throwing a, a guy like Jordan back in there making a big difference in the win loss column. You know, who's to say? Absolutely. So with Jordan, and, and obviously we've seen having Fugon, seeing Kendricks and Panay and Pollard, we've played good. Could he be beneficial? Yeah, absolutely. Yep. All right. Next one, and this was one of the tough ones, it was Jermaine Waller. I mean, I love strong to death. But Waller is a better corner than him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not not light years better, especially uh, you know we haven't really seen him not banged up since 2019. True. Um, but he would have been an immediate number one corner on the team. Um, you know, he'd be back in a system that better fits his skill set. When we think about when he had his best year, it was 2019 when he was playing kind of more of a similar style to what we're playing now. And, you know, it was giving us some more rotation flexibility in the secondary, um, whether it's, you know, nickel corner or, or, or different things like that. We'd have been able, 
to get a lot more uh, matchup based uh, situations where we're not in any sort of um, area where, where where guys can take advantage of mismatches. Absolutely, and and uh, sort of the cons similar to Jordan Williams, he'd already maximized his draft stock. I think where he was is where he was. But for him, it was the injury history, too. Because if you think about that, you know, he essentially retired from the Lions due to an injury. What if it was something that happened in spring ball where, like, the trainers are like, listen, man, if if you don't quit football right now, you're going to walk with a limp for the rest of your life. Or, you know, you're not going to be able to do these things. Yeah. I don't know what happened to Detroit, but usually when a guy retires like that, it's something where they're saying the rest of your life is going to be affected by this. Um, and then a lot of it, what it keeps going back to is it's less snaps for Harvey and Stroman. And obviously both of them played very well on Saturday, um, and kind of playing well for the season. So as much as it's a temptation to have Waller and strong and really probably turn a top, I'd say top half ACC secondary into probably an elite third. Um, we just, neither one of us could pull the trigger on. It was close. It was close for sure. It was close. Now, another one that I thought Brian was going to pull the trigger on, <laughs> how much he loved him all these years, was Raheem Blackshear. Um, now, I think we see how they've used the players in this scheme, how they Malachi had six balls. We've seen him run some good plays to Keyshawn King. He definitely would have probably got his skill set maximized. Um, it also would have meant – a lot better rotation when Thomas was healthy or excuse me, when Thomas was injured. Um, and obviously he's one of the, he's, he is already after he got traded or released and signed with Carolina and against my Niners, he is showing his value in the kick return game. And we saw that a few times last year when he had big runbacks. So yeah. you have sort of that depth where you, again, it sort of is a trickling effect, right? It, it helps with depth all around because you don't have to rush him and Keyshawn out there together. You can rush them out one at a time and so on and so forth. Now, what's the cons on him, Brian? Um, you know, I think the, the, one of the cons is that he loses some value with a healthy Thomas and then a revitalized Keyshawn King this year. Um, you know, now you got three mouths to feed. Are, who's going to get some of those carries? Is it going to be kind of a true – you know, rotation, is it going to still be Thomas kind of the lead guy? And then you have Blackshear and KK kind of working in there. Uh, and it's going to cost some of the young players some reps. I wish we, we could get, um, you know, Bryce Duke some more carries this year as, as things goes along. Red shirt's already burned, so we might as well take some advantage there. You probably wouldn't have that uh, if you had Blackshear back on this team. And kind of like the, some of the others we've already talked about, he had probably already maximized his draft stock. And especially – and especially for his age as a running back. Um, you're a running back, and, and coming back is not going to significantly improve your draft stock. Get out there, get on a team, find a roster spot, and get moving. Do exactly what he's done when he got to Carolina. Yep. He now has a roster spot probably for the rest of the year there, and they'll probably bring him back next year. So making the right decisions. Now we're getting into the really tough ones that we left off. And some of the people are going to curse and say, how do you leave these guys off? The first one is Brock Hoffman. Um, and, Brian, I'll let you uh, get into the pros of why we could have brought him back. Yeah, I mean, he would be an upgrade on the offensive line, um, mainly because of his versatility. Um, his skill set would also fit Rudolph's scheme, probably 
as good or better than anybody in the current line right now. Uh, and he's got a nasty streak and kind of sets the tone for the offense. Um, so, so I think that would be kind of a good personality to have on this style of, of team. Um, you know, but there are some cons, Curtis. I'll let you roll with those. Well, you know, the big con, we keep going back to it more and more and more, is he'd maximize his draft stock. Um, you know, Brock was already – Brock's 23 years old. In an offensive lineman, it's very similar. You start getting up there in years – you know, Brian, you played for years. You hit a wall, it's over. Yep. Now you have you have freaks like Kelsey and Trent Williams who somehow can play 15 years. They don't lose a step. But most of the time it's five, six years and a guy's done because of the toll and the punishment it takes on the body. So he had maximized his drive stop. He had to take it. And now, you know, he's made Cleveland's roster. Great for him. The personal fouls and penalties is something we've tried to clean up. <laughs> And a couple of those games, if Brock was still on the offensive line, I'm wondering if we would have been closer to 200 yards of total penalty yards. We we were like the least penalized team in Power Five last year, and like With half Brock. of those were Brock Hoffman. Exactly. <laughs> and, and and probably the other point is it, it's not a significant upgrade at center. And we do say specifically center because of obviously y'all don't hear names being called. You're going to figure out the rest. But Johnny's played well this year. Johnny's yeah. played, came in and asked what to do good, and he's done well. And it's tough to leave an offensive lineman off because of the struggles we have. But I think as you get into it, you guys are going to see why. Now, this was the biggie. This was the <laughs> one we, we – we literally last Friday were on the phone for what, probably an hour and 20 minutes. And probably yeah. 25 or – talking about this guy and it's James Mitchell um who's currently the Detroit Lions he clearly would have been the best athlete on the field on the offensive yeah. side of the ball regardless sure. who you bring back um the other pieces Brian had talked about it we're already seeing it with Daquan Wright and some with Nick Gallo this really would have benefited his the coaching scheme of Tyler Bowen would have significantly benefited him um he got drafted in the sixth round. He got Maybe. drafted mostly off some good red zone scores and athleticism. Yeah. <laughs> and and the other thing is, you just said it, Ron. He could have potentially maximized his draft potential. Now, does that mean day one? I'd say no. I would say no later than early day three. So probably somewhere between pick 96 and 115. The upper half of the round four. So he would have maximized about two rounds, which would have been a lot of money. Yeah, he, he probably goes from where he was to either late day two, early day three. Now, there are a few cons. We only got two instead of three. <laughs> yep. Uh, the, the, the biggest one is that that's probably the deepest room in terms of ability uh, yeah. on our roster right now. We already have two hybrid players that we're working in. Obviously one's a, a true freshman in Daquan, Wright. Um, the other is Connor Blumrick, which we haven't really seen a whole lot of since Wright's kind of come on. But, um, you know, we still have guys at that position that we can line up and get some production out of. Uh, and I think the other one is that he kind of knew he'd have a, a, a spot on an NFL roster with his resume, just based on that athleticism. Yep. I mean, his size, his speed, his hands, those things are already there. Um, you know, the the only knock on him was coming off the injury, obviously, yep. and, and not really being able to fully work out for a lot of these teams before the draft. 
and that was a point me and Brian made about the injury history is a guy who has his type of ability, teams will draft even if they're hurt. And if they aren't up to full speed at the beginning of the season, they'll hire them. They'll write them their full paycheck and hire them. Because, A, a team like the Lions know there are certain teams who are very well ran that will go snipe those players yep. in a heartbeat and put them on practice squad. And and sometimes when they get to the practice squad, they say, well, you can go back there or we'll give you half a million dollars to be our practice squad guy because we think you're going to be on the roster next year. So I think he he knew. He knew that he was going to land, and I think we looked. He was already fully guaranteed a million bucks this year. So he's already got life-changing money right out the gate. Yep. All righty. So let's do this, Brian. We have basically one consensus pick, one opposite pick, and then two players we sort of said, I could take one or the other. Y'all probably can guess the last two, but let's start with the consensus, Brian. Let's start with Lasita Smith and what he would bring to this team for this year. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is an immediate upgrade on the offensive line. Um, I think with his versatility, he could be a starting left guard or left tackle. Um, That would move Silas back over to right. That would really sure up a lot of some of the problems that we've seen on the offensive line. Provide veteran leadership from a proven talent. So we've got some leaders out there on this line, but Silas has been in and out of the lineup uh, and up and down the depth chart his entire career. Uh, Johnny wasn't a starter last year. This would be a guy that was a three-year starter um, that immediately guys could respond to, could lean on, uh, things of that nature. Um, He would likely adapt better to the scheme and the adjustments uh, that were needed and could help the others with that communication and things that were needed to kind of get everybody on the same page. Um, so that's going to lift the running game as a whole, um, and, and it would it would help at the passing game as well with some of those protection uh, calls and some of the communication that's needed for those switches. And you mentioned Brian how this would everything would benefit the run game as a whole if he came back, and I think that's a hundred percent. Regardless what they did with him, regardless if you say, "Hey, we're going to keep Silas," at, we're going to we're going to move Silas to left tackle. He's going to play left tackle and Lasitas at guard. Well, with some of those inside powers, Brian, I'm sure there are times you see it and you just think, God, if Lasitas was starting, that hole would have opened immediately, kind of what you're seeing from Braylon Moore. Um, And him being a consensus pick says a lot because he went in the fifth round. He could have went a lot earlier. It shows you sometimes guards slip. But I think the leadership, I think having him, like him and Silas, both being there and having that voice, it just gives you so many options. Yep. And, it, and it's tough not to say if that guy's not on the team, just by himself, the team's not better when loss wise today. Yep. Absolutely. So write, so write that down, Brian and Curtis. We both wish Lasmita Smith and what if he was back. Now let's go into our opposites because this is where we split. I'll let you lead, sir. Uh, so, I mean, I'm an offensive line guy. So what do you think I'm going to do? I've got Luke Tanuta coming back to play left tackle for us. You know how we said Lasita Smith could play left guard or left tackle? In, in my scenario, he's playing guard because <laughs> we got Luke Tenuta coming back to play left tackle. We're sliding Silas over to right either way. Yep. Um, and th- it's the trickle-down benefits. Now you've got a solid left side. You've got Silas on the right, not having to have quite as many um, responsibilities in terms of protecting the quarterback's blind side. Provides depth in case of injuries. 
Now you got Parker coming off your bench as the sub guy instead of having to be relied on every snap. Uh, and it's an upgrade in the run blocking, and it's more consistent pass pro as a unit. I know that Tanuda sometimes had, you know, little little lazy sets that that he'd get beat on, but he was he's a lot more consistent, I think, overall than what we've seen this year from both tackles. Um, so he would definitely have lifted that unit as a whole, and it could benefit Parker's development, kind of sitting back a, another season watching these guys work. And, and kind of working in when he had the opportunity uh, versus having to kind of be thrown to the wolves a little bit this year and, and, and seeing how he struggled in this new system. I think getting a little bit more watch time, a little bit more extra rep time instead of having to, you know, go out there and show it could have benefited him this year. All right. And I went completely opposite, opposite side of the ball. And to me, you got to bring Amari Barno back. I mean, the guy would immediately be the most dynamic athlete on the field. And I think with him coming back as the opposite um, edge rusher with Garbutt, you'd have a dynamic duo there, right? You'd have yep. Garbutt, who's had a good season. You'd have Barno, who not many left tackles could get their hands on. I think it would move that room and the defense from middle of the ACC, kind of top 40 country probably to near the top of the ACC probably top 20 top 15 in the country having that sort of um pass rush presence but the other big piece is if he comes back it allows McCray and Nelson to develop without being asked to do too much and we are asking them a lot to do we are we are we're asking them to do a lot this year they've done well in spots they've had some struggles in spots so for me is Bad as the offense has struggled, yes, it's 117th. Yes, we're struggling all over the place. What's good make great? Because I've seen a top 15 defense, even with a 100-ranked offense, win 10 games, and I still think that can happen. Now, Brian – Talking about I mean, us or Iowa? I mean, <laughs> Iowa too. I mean, Jeezy. But, but here's the thing, Brian, and, 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 and I want to make a counterpoint to Luke Tenuta. I think bringing Lasitas back, and I think if, if he wasn't my one, if I didn't have a Lasitas, Tanuta or Hoffman or one of those guys could have came back. But I think having Lasitas back, <clears throat> it automatically, because if you feel like it goes back schematics, right? Well, if you play him at left tackle, you still start Hanson at guard and you can let Silas and them battle. And to your point, if Parker's not clicking, because Silas playing left for the first time, Yes, he's had his moments, but he's also done a decent job. You know, I could see Lasitas doing that and having Hanson and still letting more. Remember that. Your boy Moore, a little more. If Lasitas and Luke come back, he is not getting the run showing what he can do, solidifying himself for next year. That's a good point, but at the same time, <laughs> we've got a – couple of running backs that have shown the ability of Thomas to make good plays into great plays and King to be explosive and hit the home run. If we give them a little bit more space to operate, this running game could be pretty dynamic. So if you add in two other players to shore up the, the weaker areas of the, of the offensive line, the trickle down to me is much more important than what Barno could bring on the other side. Because I think, you know, McCray does has a similar skill set, not quite as dynamic, not quite as, 
you know, the, the combination of size and speed of Barno, but he's got a similar skill set. He's, 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 you know, pretty, pretty long and pretty fast. I think what we can do on the offensive side will benefit us more. All right. And see, I'm, I'm exact opposite because I think if looking at the games we've lost, you know, you think you talked about Van Dyke. There are times he just, we couldn't get him off his spot. I think Barno would have got him off his spot. I think Barno would have gotten, uh, even though I see Carolina still as a loss, I think Barno would have gotten Drake May off his spot. I think Barno would have helped significantly with the run defense against West Virginia. And as much as I want to put on the offense, the defense did break late. And could you imagine having that one extra dynamic player on the field for 20 extra plays and where it takes the total? But we'll, we'll stop there. There's our count printer points. Brian's taking the second offensive lineman, Luke Tenuta. I'm taking Amari Barno at the edge. All right, then we got to the two where we kind of flipped a coin because we could – they both would be good. Um, Brian, I'll let you since, – since you won him in the coin bet, I'll let you start with your guy first. All right, so I'm uh, – we're, we're targeting here wide receiver. Right? Yes, we are. Um, and I went Trey Turner here. Um I think he, you know, putting him on this team, he's immediately wide receiver one. I, I appreciate what Caleb Smith is doing, but just Trey's ability to run, I, th- I think a different combination of routes um, would have helped and just his, his his veteran presence would have helped with this team. It would also allow Smith to operate without as much attention. Um, Trey, Trey would at least draw an equal, um, you know, respect across that line. Um, you, you wouldn't quite have as many people keying on what Caleb Smith is doing um, if you got Trey Turner opposite him. Um, the, the leadership uh, and veteran presence in the wide receiver room, uh, I think that's big. Um, Trey was definitely a leader. He was a guy that you could tell loved the Hokies um, and, and, and was kind of you know, a, a great voice in the room. And, and it creates a, you know, he has a versatile skill set wide receiver. Um, you know, he never ended up, you know, becoming the, you know, the, the, the huge presence that I think some people thought he would as a, as a freshman, but he is a very, very solid player and would definitely be wide receiver one on this team. Uh, and he can do a lot of different things, whether it's, um, you know, do stuff out of the backfield, uh, jet sweeps, all, all sorts of things. So he showed that he has the versatility to do a lot of different things in an offense. And I think having a, a veteran like that on the team would have been a big boost. Yeah, and obviously if Brian went Trey, I was on the opposite side of the coin. I went Tay Robinson, immediate upgrade in the slot and at the wide receiver position. Um, Cable Smith has played great this year at the X, so I think having Tavon there would be a huge upgrade. He fits the scheme well. There are a lot of things that we're seeing done with the other receivers that you feel like if Tay Robinson had just hung out – maybe he's not where he is with Kentucky with his stats. I mean, his stats at Kentucky this year are pretty daggum good. I mean, averaging over 15 and a half a catch, almost 400 yards in six games. He is well on his way to easily breaking his uh, his yards and touchdown set when he was with the Hokies. Um, also, that special team. And don't get me wrong, the, we haven't fumbled but like once this year on special teams. But with him, you know it's dynamic. You know if you're punting to Tavion Robinson, you might have to leave one less guy in to potentially 
not block the punt to get downfield because we know he can take them to the house. We know he can get you big field flipping returns. And I think that's another really crucial element because you put the fear in special teams. And then again, you, you mentioned with Trey and I think it's the same with Tay. It's a versatile skill set, right? We saw these guys run sweet. We saw them do different things. And that what makes them so important. And, and maybe a reason we didn't bring Mitchell back is because it was more than one element in the game they can affect. And to us, we kind of discussed it. They were both Smith equally. That's why I missed we literally had a coin toss. Who was going to talk about who? Um, because we look at that room, Brian. And yep. what's it missing? It's missing like one top end talent and, and leadership. That's what it's missing the most. Uh, it, you know, if you, you got a leader and you got a top end player, you know, you, you probably turn in some of these plays that, that we're missing in, into first downs, into touchdowns. Absolutely. And, and you know, and, and that's what kind of stinks going through here and looking at all the players who potentially come back. We chose three. It is a few players from being a better team, and that's where the, the other long part of our conversation on Friday when we talked was, all right, Brian, where's our team if our three guys come back? And I sat there and told you that I think Carolina's a loss regardless. I do. But I think if our three players come back, I think I'd, I'd chalk up Carolina as a loss. I don't chalk up AD, ODU as a loss. I think that's a win. I think we would have scored a lot more points on them and probably kept them the less points with Barno attacking off the edge. And then I think of one of the other games is I think Pitt or the Miami game goes the way of the Hokies with those guys. And I know we can say, well, my, no, or excuse me. Yeah. Pitt or Miami. Right. No, no. Pitt, Miami or West Virginia. Virginia. I think two of those three go the Hokies way, because if the West Virginia game, that was still a game going into the fourth. Same with the Pitt. Same with the Miami hurricane game. I think we flip a couple of those because of having both sides of the balls present. So I think we're probably sitting five and two right now. And yes, I have maroon colored glasses on tonight. (laughs) <laughs> I think we're at least four and three. I think we're at least above 500. Um, yeah, if, if you get, put those three guys back on this team, I think you definitely win ODU. Uh, and I think you probably take down Miami for sure. Uh, you, you make Pitt, you know, a big conversation late and you make, um, you, you make West Virginia a conversation late as well. Um, but the guys I'm adding back on aren't helping the defense a lot. I feel like the defense is what hurt us the most in those games. Mm-hmm. So, you know, not being able to generate offense hurts, but you know, the, the, the defense still didn't, you know, came apart late. I think they probably still give up the same amount of points. Um, and I, and I'm not sure even with these additions, if we can match that, but so I've got us at four and three, I've got us winning ODU and winning against Miami um you know with these uh with these players back on the roster all right all right now the last part of our exercise we did and this didn't take as long i said brian what if like six of these players come back and let's say the the guys we talked about let's say we both get those we we get because i'll agree with brian luke was up close to me but let's say we get tanuda you get barno you get both wide receivers. You get Lasitas. That's five, right? Yeah, that that's the five that we discuss, and and uh, we we said we throw Jermaine in there as well. And Jermaine, 
if you got all six of our players back, where do you think we'd be? I think six and one, man. Um, I think if you bring all six of those guys back, you know, you get enough boost on the defensive side where you slow down UNC a little bit more. So that game becomes close. You slow down West Virginia, that game becomes a W. You slow down um, Pitt. Pitt, and that game becomes a W. So you end up six and one, and then, you know, you're, you're kind of in, in the, uh, not the driver's seat in the conference, in the coastal, but, you know, you get one extra loss by UNC, and now you're now you're the team to beat, right? So, absolutely, and 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 that's why it was fun to do this because you look at these guys and their skill sets and where they fit, and it's even more apparent as we get into the season where you're missing them, yeah. and they all had their reasons for leaving, and that was 100 percent fine. You don't fault anyone who feels like they are making the best decision for themselves. But it it sort of sucks though, as you sit here as fans, as we look at this every week and we talk about guys saying. God, if they would just come back. Um, but on the other hand, the, the piece that me and Brian also discussed was, did we want 2016 to happen again? Does anybody want 2016 to happen again? And not necessarily that year or the year after, but the subsequent years, right? The subsequent years and being on the hook for a buyout as a result of the subsequent years. I think right now we know whatever we get, it's being built by Brent Pry and his staff. Yep. You know, wh- whatever whatever the results are, good or bad, going forward after this year, you yep. know, Brent Pry's got his hands on it. He's got his hands on it. And if year three comes and we're six and six, I think we're going to look at that through a different light, right? Yeah. Then we would yeah. have like we did in 2018. And if 2019 we win eight or nine games, or you know, four years from now, eight or nine games, it's this, it's that constant building where if all those guys come back, and I know I think for all of us, we'd love to be six and one. I'd love to be talking about wins every week. We'd love to talk wins every week. That's a hell of a lot more fun than talking about losses. But the reality is if we go back six years, how much Isaiah Ford, Bucky Hodges, Cam Phillips, Tremaine Edmonds, Terrell Edmonds. All those good players offensively and defensively, those first couple years, Gerard Evans, sorry, don't want to forget him, how much they covered up a lot of warts that got shown after the big contract, after all the other shit had happened. I'll say especially in in 2017, uh, in that defense, the talent Mm -hmm. on that defense, and how much that covered up some of the warts that were starting to show that year because when we look back we're like okay well we we had a we had an above average year but we were already starting to see the cracks in the foundation and you know with the cracks in the foundation you had 2018 there was such an exodus of talent that that you couldn't really you know how bad is this team is are they bad because they're young are they bad because they're they're not coached well and then, then you get to nineteen, and you start saying, you know, okay, well now we're now we're starting this guy that's throwing a lot of picks, and we're getting blown out by Duke, and we're taking an intervention from a, an analyst to to get the right starting quarterback mm-hmm. in there. Um, you know, there, there's so many things that as you're getting into year three and four that you start getting some answers to that you didn't necessarily have 
in year one and two. And at least with the way we're going now, when we get to year four, we're going to we'll either we'll either know or we won't. Well, but we'll also know, and it's already kind of being shown up front that you feel like Prize already holds the coaching staff accountable pretty quick. Because if you come to year four and there's still struggles and Tyler Bowen still and he fires him year three or four, then you know you might say, uh, well, at least he knows something's not right, and that could be with various things, and he's letting people go because that's still the biggest step Justin Fuente never took. Yep. He never took that step when there was an issue in everybody, even laymen like me who have to ask you a lot of questions to get more insight on the game can see plainly like this isn't good on that side of the ball. So it is what it is. All right, Brian, know the enemy this week. Uh, yeah, we don't have an enemy. There is no game prediction, so we don't have to go out on a limb, but – there are some big, big games on Saturday, and I'm going out to the West Coast. I'm going to the Autzen Zoo, Oregon, UCLA. Um, I'm not even looking at the line on that game. I'm looking at the over-under. The over-under is 70.5. These teams can both score points. I don't think 70.5 is close. I'm going to take the over. And I, I slept on UCLA a few weekends ago at home against um, – at home against Washington, and I'm going to sleep on them again. I think Oregon wins this game at a 3.30 on Saturday. What you got? On my big screen, I'm going to have Okie State, Texas. Uh, Texas is a six-and-a-half-point favorite here. Road favorite. Road favorite. Road favorite. Uh, Over-under is 61-and-a-half. I'm going to take the over here. Uh, both of these teams have been scoring some pretty pretty big numbers, putting up some pretty round numbers here lately. Um, and I'm going to actually take Okie State in the points here. Um, I'm not sure if they win it outright, but that thing's going to come down to the wire. And I All think right. Okie State is feeling a little bit of need for some revenge, I think, after, uh, after what went down last week. After blowing that 14-point lead. Well, Brian, has anything broken on the Twitter sphere? Any other news broken? Uh, did anybody lose a baseball game? Uh, I don't have the game on right now. You tell me, bud. I don't either. I didn't turn it on before I got in here. We, we missed the fun belt. We could have had the fun belt in the background here. That's all on me. I was rushing to get in here tonight. But App State blew the doors off Georgia State, who, um, yeah, the fun belts, the fun belts. You never know what's going to happen there. But if there is nothing that that is going to wrap up this episode of the Boundary Corner podcast brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy in Blacksburg. Go see Jeremy and his staff today. I'm Curtis Wilson. I'm Brian Siegler. Visit our website, BoundaryCornerVT.com, to listen to all of our episodes. While you're there, don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Facebook, Instagram, go subscribe to our YouTube account. You guys have been blowing that up lately. We are very appreciative of it. Um, again, we're going to figure out a way to get film, and Brian's going to be able to show film one day and not get arrested or have a uh, cease and desist order thrown, um, thrown on him. Podcast-wise, Amazon, Spotify, all your favorite sources. As always, we let our buddy Jason Long play us in. 
play us out tonight as we wrap up this episode. We've actually got one of his songs from his summer 2022 EP. Um, I think the title is It May Look Bad, which I think we as Hokie fans feel that right now. Um, <laughs> check him out on his website, jasonlongmusic.com, to link to all of his music, Apple, Spotify, his YouTube account, his Facebook pages. And I think he is playing somewhere live this weekend. Let's see. Yep, October uh, 19th at the uh, – That's tonight. <laughs> well, he played there tonight. Sorry, Jason. <laughs> if this was last night, we could have got it off. But uh, he will be playing the 29th at the uh, Grandin Village Farmers Market from 8 to 12 down in Roanoke. So check him out there. As always, we thank you all for listening. And let's go. Okie. Okay.